when there's geeky news going on in the world, who are you going to call? Informers! Damn right, people. We are back for another lovely week of NMI, When You Need More Info, a podcast for the worlds of movies, video games, and TV shows. I'm your host, Nate, and today I'm joined by Fergus. Hello, everybody. I am back once again. Obviously, the uh, horror monster of the macabre this week. And, uh, oh, what is this? We have a... A lovely special treat this week. Someone who's definitely the uh, the maestro of horror himself. Where it's Connor. Welcome, Connor, to the show. Hello, hello, hello. You're too kind, my man. Thank you for the gracious opening. Honestly, it's the best way. You know, um, myself being Connor, been talking about this for a while. Mm. Uh, I knew the fact that Connor has is really into his horror, like like really into it. So compared to me and Fergus, he is uh, again like the maestro of this. So definitely, <laughs> it was really good to bring him in. We unfortunately couldn't bring him in last week, but when it came to the movies, he was like, oh. Let's uh, let's bring I him was, in. I was straight up there, my man. I love me some horror. Horror is my uh, my bread and butter. So how how long have you been watching horror movies? Would you say like you know the good kind? <laughs> the good kind. <laughs> what do you mean by the good kind? I mean there there are some terrible oh, horror I mean, films. Yeah, out there's there. some some atrocious horror films out there. I've seen my fair share of terrible horror films as well, which I, they have a, I have a soft spot for those too. But um, I don't know good horror. Uh, I've been watching them for a long time, way way too long, really. To be fair, like in in relation to my age. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it was, it's the best uh, way to be. It was my uh, my mum, definitely my mum, who got me into horror. She's a huge horror fan. And nice, that's yeah, awesome. I used, to, I used to watch horror films of her all the time when I was growing up, and I think that's what probably inspired my love for horror. Now that and consuming, you know, old child media that wasn't really child friendly, like Courage of Cowardly Dog, for example. That was like my favorite cartoon growing up. And that oh, is yeah. all kinds of horrific. Like if you've ever seen that, that cartoon. I mean, looking back at Ren and Stimpy, you know, that stuff mm. and everything, that was not made for kids back in the no. day. No, no, God, no. Like, honestly, some parts of Courage are so horrific now. Looking back at them, I'm like, wow, there's, you know, there's no surprise I like the kind of and things I like because that was horrific. I'm sorry, but that was not a cowardly dog. That was a, <laughs> that was a courageous dog. You know, I love, yeah, I got mad, mad love for Courage, honestly. It's such a good series. Uh, it's a travesty they don't make it anymore. Yeah, but no, obviously, you know, uh, obviously, uh, again, like uh, Connor's joining us for the horror special today. But uh, and I was usually Fergus is the expert on our anime, but he's got a bit of a rival today when with a bit of the anime as well. I know there's a bit of a bit of love between them as well in regards to some anime. We won't get into that this episode. We might bring it up another episode. But again. <laughs> Welcome back to the episode, people. Obviously, you know, uh, last week we did horror TV, our favorite horror TV. It was in a non-specific order. We just basically did, you know, what what basically we enjoyed, how we enjoyed it. Did it have a special place for us and what we actually felt with it? And we are going to do the same this week with horror film. Obviously, this um, month we've been trying to work out if we're going to do horror themed every week. I know we've definitely got the Dark Pictures Anthology Roundup series coming up where a few of us will be getting together playing the current Dark Pictures Anthology games, uh, Man of Medan, Little Hope and uh, House of Ashen. And then doing a review of that before The Devil in Me comes out because again that new game coming out is literally a group of people get invited to a recreation of the hotel that h h holmes created no why would you there's no reason why you do that it looks fantastic <laughs> oh yeah I, I love the fact that they've added a jump mechanic to the game now it's like oh. when it gets when it gets to that point you know oh jump is that and also each card has a specific trait now that actually helps towards the end of the game, not just, you know, let the character die. Oh, no. <laughs> I would regularly uh, I would regularly mess up those games quite a lot. Same with Until Dawn as well. Like, it would go really well. Uh, and then towards the end of the game, I would get most people killed. 
if not all of people killed. I mean, there's a six hour play for online and a friend of mine was watching the entire thing and he literally just messaged me after, you killed the fucking dog, you dick. I'm like, I didn't mean to, it was an accident. Yeah, like, yeah. Every person almost survived until five minutes before the end. I was pissed. <laughs> like I got tricked so easily. Again, when we go into the horror films today, people, they, they these a lot of these things can trick you in really different ways. To be honest, it's really funny. But again, I know the recent Hellraiser movie has come out. Uh, people are critiquing that movie, saying it's all right. It's all right for a Hellraiser film that's recently come out. There, definitely enjoying the uh, the gender bent twist on uh, the Hellraiser premise. And I know Clive Barker has actually come out and said he actually quite likes this interpretation, mm, uh, specifically yeah. on into horror film style. The new Hellraiser stuff looks really good, actually. It's on my. Uh, I'm probably actually going to reference Hellraiser later on, but the oh, the new one is on my list to watch for sure. Uh, and obviously, uh, Halloween is out this Friday. Oh yes, <laughs> I, I must admit, I've, I've still not seen the second one um, in that in the new series. I saw the first one when it came out. I never saw the second one. I've um, not seen any of them. Forgot, just forgot to see it. Uh, and also, I've I got put, put a trailer as well. Yeah, so it's interesting because obviously the third trailer does spoil the end of the second film, which yeah, is interesting. I mean, it was the second trailer that kind of for the second film that made me not maybe less inclined to watch it really because I watched the trailer and the trailer, I just felt like I watched the entire film, you know, and it just I hated it. I hated it so much because I was like, I've seen the film now. I don't need to even watch this anymore. I mean, the fact that they couldn't get Paul Rudd back as well. <laughs> for the role which was uh interesting but again like you know i've not seen any of them mm. but uh obviously yeah exactly you know so luckily with this one kind of uh, i might actually do a retro review of these movies once it eventually comes out and like you know see the whole trilogy into itself but yes people so obviously today we are going to be getting into the spoopy horror movies as mentioned before we will be doing our favorite horror movies and you know if they have some connection to us obviously i've seen a ton of horror movies myself i've seen stuff like saw and hostile Hostel still makes me feel sick and throw up to this day. There's a horror movie called um, uh, Don't uh, Don't Look Now, or what was it? Um, basically, there was a horror movie where basically my mother said to me, don't watch this film, so you do it. And I regret I should. That was the one time I should have listened to my mother. It was a Ouija board <laughs> of demons, and I was definitely not into that. Uh, that was uh, definitely for sure. But yes, people. So, right. We've done the intros. Hello, Fergus. Hello, Connor. Hello. Why? 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 Here we go, people. Right. So we are now going to get into our favorite horror movies. Right. So usually it's uh, Fergus or someone else who takes uh, uh, the first pick on this, but because we've got a lovely new guest host today, and he, technically he is the first in the alphabetical order as well, hey. I'm going to let Connor reveal his mm. first horror film. Okay. <laughs> let's, let's see. Let's see. So my first one is uh, the 2016 banging film known as Train to Busan. Um, this film it it done got me done got me good when uh when I first saw it I had um I had not really dived into sort of Asian cinema very much uh, beforehand I, I love anime and whatnot so I guess it was a natural stepping stone eventually but um uh, Train to Busan when I first saw that I was like damn this is probably one of the best if not the best zombie film I have seen in recent time it is just fantastic um it is a punchy very actiony it's oh, it, it's, it's incredible. I'm a massive fan of the film. Um, and since then, you know, I've, I've gone on and I've watched so many more fantastic, like, Asian films. It's, it's been incredible. An eye-opening. No, I definitely agree. Uh, the, I almost put this on my honourable mentions list, but I kind of figured that someone might have been putting this on the list themselves. Mm. Also, I love the fact that uh, one of the Eternals is in this film, and he basically yes. pretty much plays the same role. <laughs> the uh, the main character is, is also... Um, 
in Squid uh, Game. You have a dude from Squid Game who does the coin game, the coin toss game in the station. Coin toss, the paper toss, you know the. the oh yeah, yeah, and uh, one, yeah, yeah, no, it's a brilliant movie. I know they are doing an American remake of this, mm. Train to New York, I think it is. Mm. <laughs> Uh, yeah, Connor's got thoughts on that. Yeah, I got thoughts. On, I mean, I got thoughts on the whole, um, the, the whole kind of the industry and and, and the wide wide industry feels the need to kind of make you know remake these films, uh, westernize these films. Should I say? I'm not really a massive fan of that whole kind of that that mm. whole industry. I don't know. It's not for me. I kind of like the films as they are, and um, I think it was the, the the Parasite director, right? You know, the guy who directed Parasite. Uh, I'm pretty sure he said that you know, if people just became a lot more accepting of subtitles, you know, they would discover so many more fantastic films out there and i feel like this is the film that definitely did that for me you know it got me into watching those films that you know are just subtitled and that's just how it is but but man like it, i don't know i just don't think we need to make a western version of this film because it already hits so many good notes the design is fantastic the the actors in the film do a fantastic job as well uh, and there's a lot of really nice kind of uh, subtle subtle kind of plot points that kind of run through the film as well on the, on the you know the, the core of the film is about zombies yes but there is also this really kind of interesting kind of backstory behind it between sort of like you living your life and how you should live your life and, you know, life, death and everything in between, basically. Like a lot of the characters kind of grow as they go throughout the film and it's just a, uh, it's a really nice journey to watch unfold. Yeah, no, I thought they was going to put a kind of tram in there with something, actually. Uh, the, the subjects covered will come up later. <laughs> oh, interesting. Uh, it's good, good to know. I know. I know we'll probably definitely be doing an episode of People in the Future of... Uh, foreign remakes into Western adaptations because I know uh, The Raid is also a film that's uh, currently in conversation to have a Western adaptation as well. Mm. And mm. I think that's actually a film that works, doesn't work. Because I mean, Dread is pretty much The Raid in for Western audiences. But yeah, right. Uh, so we're going to hand it over to Fergus now for his, uh, his uh, first pick. So my first pick is um, staying on this subject of Western adaptations is oh, the... Fuck. The original Ring, which uh, is a Japanese film from 1998 and absolutely terrifying. Mm-hmm. Um, there is, of course, a American remake with a unsubtitled, entirely Western cast. Um, I did a mini dissertation on why this happens um, back in media studies, uh, only to basically uncover an interview from the guy who does it to say, Americans, money, yes? It's <laughs> pretty uh, much it's, it, right? <laughs> it, it, yeah. yeah, they do it for money. There is no artistic reason for that. Um, but the original ring is definitely the scariest, I would say. Um, if you've not seen this, uh, Chick lives in a well um, because it's a horror film. And there is a videotape going round, and if you watch that videotape, she will crawl out of the screen and eat your face. Uh, to very, very much paraphrase what goes on here, <laughs> um, you have almost seen, definitely seen clips. Uh, this, because I mean, it's pretty famous by now. Yeah, really good. I think probably one of the again. Yeah, this is going to be early, an early start of me watching horror films and getting into uh, Asian cinema but it's the same very much made an impression and then sort of came back around with the remakes mm. yeah, um, the original ring is fantastic it always the um what always got me with the original ring when i, I went back and watched it was the just the cover the cover is horrifying you've got a really awkwardly abstract kind of angle of a face the eye is the eye is sort of like almost rolling back in their head and it just looks 
it just looks very unsettling. Like the cover just makes you makes you think quite a lot. Yeah. Um this is sort of human but doesn't move like a human as mm. like I mean, crawling out of the TV would also suggest that she wasn't human. Um, but I, you know, if you're again, this is uh, 1998, so you're not really exposed to a huge amount, and you've only got a couple of TV channels. The TV's kind of like a base, central family thing that you sit around, and then for it to be have ghosts inside it is terrifying to uh, <laughs> however old I was at the time when I watched this. <laughs> um, this is Haido Nakata uh, as director. He's um, done a bunch of other stuff as well. Did he do The Grudge as well? He did. Thing two, Dark Water, uh, sort of bolted on honourable mention, is pretty similar and also similarly terrifying and had a similar American remake. Um, but yes, watch The Ring, uh, preferably the Japanese version. Mm-hmm. But, um, I'll be honest with you. I I saw the uh, the American version first myself with her. It was Sarah Michelle Gellar, right? If I'm correct, I believe she was the one that was actually in the first one. But I will say between the both of them, like I think the Grudge was worse for me, just in general. Mm. Like I couldn't I couldn't sleep underneath the bed for underneath the quilt for two weeks after I watched that film. Scared the living shit out of me. So yeah, no, honestly, like uh, and also there's just something about the eye that freaks people the fuck out, especially me. Like uh, Jeepers Creepers is a is a film that, ha- that did the top thing mm-hmm. as well. It, it's just really frustrating when that happens. Mm. This is what I mean. You you have this horrendous these horrendous angles that are you know present throughout the entire film. It's got fantastic cinematography and it really does unease unease the um the viewer watching it. But it's, fan- it's fantastic. Oh yeah, most definitely. But uh, thank you, Fergus, for your first uh, first pick. So no, I'm going to quickly run a uh, quick honorable mention for myself. Um, it is the Blair Witch Project. So this movie, honestly, obviously it started an entire genre unto itself, like, you know, the first handheld camera, first person view aspect, um, which obviously Paranormal Activity took probably to the next stage. So I think this was like the first stage of this uh, movie genre, Paranormal Activity took to the next stage. Obviously um, had a bolt of sequels that came after it and video games, which were terrible, um, like like really bad films but again and the end of this movie to this day for some reason it spoils people for a film that's almost 23 years old at this point just the man standing in the corner at the end still freaks me the fuck out to this day i don't know what it is yeah. the fact that the camera drops and you don't know what happens i mean you eventually figure out because they did a sort of they did a prequel sequel to this film like called blair witch like recently which was i've never watched it but i've heard it is gory fucked up and it actually explains more what's going on which also i think goes against how the series should play out because obviously there is a time uh also there is a time loop aspect which is brought into this uh, series as well which um actually does come into the whole influx in time loops narratives which in the previous podcast did go to that by the way uh but yeah no when it comes just when it comes to this movie though i don't know i loved the fact that they did a similar concept i believe they did a similar concept to cannibal holocaust in regards to you know saying that the cast were killed off or they were missing I don't know if they had the same thing of basically where they had to actually bring the cast out because people thought they died. So I know in Cannibal Holocaust, there was a whole legal aspect where the director had to go, no, they're not dead. I had, I br- I had to break contracts and bring them back and everything. I, f- I know they did missing posters for this movie, but I don't know if it's a case of like, you know, they had to bring them out as well. Also, like for this type of genre, this film, you know, estimated between 200,000, 500,000 budget 
made 200 almost 250 million dollars at the box office so it goes to show you know the quality in the filmmaking is also mm. as the joke goes that drip of snot in the movie should have got an oscar nomination i think a lot of people <laughs> said that but uh yeah that's my like you know my first honorable mention fergus you were gonna you were gonna say something uh this is a main mention for me the blow witch project um it's a really good film uh it actually inspired me to start uh filmmaking uh, myself again probably way too young to legally watch this film uh but i got hold of a camcorder and started make wandering around with the like the night vision mode on and trying to people be jumping out of cupboards going rah that sort of thing um but yeah no this 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 is this very much inspired my early filmmaking days um it's a great film um it's all about the kind of mood and feel really rather than oh no it's a highly detailed cg monster and it's gonna eat you like you don't see the villain um spoiler all. you doing this you doing the sequel prequel i, I, I will tell you that i've now. seen it actually it's um, i've heard it's okay but it's like it 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 leads more into the horror not the uh the uh, tension side which i actually much preferred with this one yeah it's a different sort of horror um and you said the 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 initial marketing for this was basically an indie project being submitted to like local film festivals was very well done hence the it really took off and is still inspiring pretty similar films to this day and say paranormal activity and well, even cloverfield in i was films gonna I don't say know. yeah even just the handheld camera thing which i guess is pretty um modern for 1999 like handheld cameras weren't around that long in 1999 i don't think um oh. yeah i would say very influential inspirational horror film not the scariest thing on the list probably but in terms of like um influencing the genre it is worthy of mention it, it definitely is it's like um this was you know, this film like spearheaded what what became the found footage genre of films and you know it's so many different films have come since then that that follow in the in the footsteps of this film and i feel like you know the fact that it doesn't you know show you you know the big bad and that kind of stuff is it does it such credence because it makes it very believable makes it very real um and i think that's what you know why the film did so well back in the day because you know people genuinely did believe this was a real thing this was 100 percent a mm. real you know event that happened that they had recorded and they had made into a film you know to tell people about like you know yeah, people were genuinely mind blown by it because the marketing was so well executed and everything was just on brand you know it was it it almost was a bit like kind of you know modern day arg campaigns that kind of thing they kind of brought that into into it with with the whole missing you know wanted posters and all that kind of stuff and it was wild fantastic film you could say like generationally cannibal holocaust was sort of like the uh, the boomer generation sort of gen x generation and this was the millennials uh like next step mm. essentially uh obviously parenting still falls in that window but i'm wondering when it comes to gen z how they could how they could adapt it because we're, we're probably going to see the next evolution of this at some point uh how that will I actually mean, play out i i would argue we've already seen the next generation of this already to be fair uh, we've had those um those films that center around the trope of kind of chat rooms online chat rooms that kind of thing ah true um, true we've kind of had those and i kind of attribute those to like the modern telling of these stories and i've seen a few films like that the name slips me now. What uh, a recent one was that I watched? Searching, maybe potentially. Is it the one with the father um, searching for his daughter? No, it was about the uh, one where the friends were like in a house, like they were like chatting on Skype together, basically. Um, and there was another one recently they did in like relation to Facebook and like a Facebook thing. I think it's called like Unfriended or something like that. 
Um, I didn't like them at all because I think they were quite cheap, quite cheap kind of horror films. Um, very jump scary, but without any sustenance between the, the lines. Um, I know uh, John Cho did a movie where basically his daughter had gone missing, and he was hmm. using the only the computer to figure out where his daughter was. So it was it was using that perspective. I heard that movie actually was quite good, to be honest. That sounds interesting. I don't know. The one I saw was a lot more a lot more ratchet, shall we say? But it was. Hmm. Um, but I, f- I think that is potentially like what is the modern day equivalent of like the Blair Witch Project, or I just don't think it's been adopted really by a, a director who can really work it. I mean, there was that film that was filmed on an iPhone, like like mm. literally someone filmed an entire film on an iPhone, which is which yeah. is an intriguing concept. I, I mean, that also has has the makings of that for sure. Because what is what is an iPhone if not a modern day camcorder? Yeah, no, most definitely. But now, uh, yeah. thank you, Fergus, for your first well, your first pick and my honorable mention. So uh, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna roll it back to Connor now. What is your yeah. what's your next pick, man? Oh man, my next pick is um. Uh, I'm going to just one more zombie one and then I'm done with zombies. Um, so we're going to keep it relevant. Uh, and it is the 2002 classic Danny Boyle adventure 28 Days Later, which was one of my... Uh, yeah, one of the films that scared me the most growing up as a kid. I definitely shouldn't have watched this when I did because um, this film was fucking horrific. So I'm just going to interject here. It, that's actually on my list as well, to be honest. Same. Hey! <laughs> <look at that. laughs> yeah, no, 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 this film is is fantastic. This is what I would describe as pre preem British horror. You know, this is a film done by Daddy Ball, very, very, you know, famous British director. And everything about this just oozes, um, oozes kind of Brit- British kind of, that era of British history. And it's very, oh man, it's very raw. It's very gritty. And it used to freak me the fuck out as as a as a kid when I watched this because this is uh, a zombie film. Although rather interestingly, Danaboyle doesn't actually class it as a zombie film. Um, he said this many times. He doesn't see it as a zombie film, which is quite funny because this film, you know, is responsible or widely responsible for bringing zombies back into the mainstream. You know, since this film came out, there had been there was a massive explosion in zombies. You had comics like The Walking Dead start, and all that kind of stuff came, you know, a year after this film came out. So it was hugely influential. But man. Is it just a raw and just emotion-filled film? Holy fuck! And I've, I think, like, what is potentially the, the the you know the most creepiest part about it is it is it's very plausible. It's a very plausible event, like that could happen in real life. You know, it's not a, a mystical or a mythical zombie virus. It's not something that you know is a, a godly act or something like that. It is science gone wrong, and that is <laughs> horrific because yeah, this is. 100% something that could genuinely happen and it's just frightening to think like you know if you'd landed yourself in like an environment like this what would you do <laughs> regularly me and friends have debated sort of you know zombie apocalypse and what you would do in zombie apocalypse right it's a uh it's a common common party question um but we'd also would, would like rate zombies and this was probably the worst kind of zombie you'd encounter starting from like walking dead zombie probably the easiest zombie to survive and then ending with 28 days later zombies which is probably the worst zombie you'd ever want. So I don't know. I think the uh, World War Z zombies take the cake on that one, to be honest. Uh, but no, honestly, that whole like zombie like question, my friends legitimately used to just go trip the chunky one up. It'll take them time to finish the meal and they'll be able <laughs> to escape. That was their plan, which is basically me. I was like, oh fuck you, assholes! I'm 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 the I'm the food is sacrificed, dicks. You know, but yeah, no. But, Again, um, you know, I, yeah, I, I think it was because I think w- w- what makes it the worst one potentially is not only have you got these zombies which are incredibly fast and incredibly quick and don't stop, um, but it's also the blood. So blood plays a massive role in this film as well. And it's not just about getting bit, but also getting blood on you, getting blood in you is enough to turn you into one of them, which is what the worst thing is. Because, you know, if they spit blood, if that goes in your eye, goes in your mouth, 
you're infected straight away. There's, there's no coming back from that. And that kind of level of transmission mixed with the, the kind of speed and stuff that the, the rage zombies give is just frightening. It's fucking horrific. But man, is it a good ride. Heart damn. If you want a good zombie film, this is a classic. Mm. I very much switched up the the nature of zombies in films, really. Like, this is the first film I saw with a rum, uh, zombie that runs mm. and kind of just rages. They're all... Before this film, typically, they're all slow and after brains. Mm, exactly, yeah. Like, it was very much responsible for that revival of zombies because up till then, we only had really the works of kind of Romero and stuff like that to guide us on what we knew about zombies, even going even back further than that to a lot of the kind of proto-zombie films. And zombies were very much old you know lumbering things right this danny boyle completely switched the game with this and i feel like most if not all fast zombies can probably trace their origins back to this film and this the design in this film mm. I, I so I, I i definitely agree on the forefront like you know this like you know starting off the trend of the fast zombie obviously you know two years later we had dawn of the dead which i feel uh brought its own approach to it as well i think like there was there was an interesting take on how Zack snyder which i still think it's one of his best films to this day that we won't talk about outside of movies uh except watchman is pretty good but um also i'd like to briefly mention the last of us because it has a you know in you talking in regards to, like you know a realistic thing could occur because obviously this comes from you know infected chimpanzees and their rage monsters in this mm. Uh, in The Last of Us, it comes from a scientifically proven thing of like infected ants, mm. and it's a mutation of that and how that could occur. And also, I do want to mention the uh, the game Days Gone briefly, because it follows a similar approach to how the director of this stated they're not zombies, because in the game for Days Gone, the game designer, game director basically said they are not zombies, they are called freakers, because there's actually a narrative plot point which goes into that. I, I don't want to spoil it, because unfortunately there's not going to be a sequel. I was hoping for a graphic novel of it, but they do actually, in a side quest, actually include a reason why they're called Freakers. And it's actually a post-credit sequence, which I actually was kind of pissed off we're not going to get continuation on. But I do love how, what you mentioned in regards to, you know, how this did bring come about. I also think, like, you know, when it comes to horror, you know, before this movie, the only movie that really you could say, like, was more true good British horror was probably American Wealth in London. I feel like, you know... Even though it was probably it was it was it was an American film, but you know the British aspect of it definitely brought it to the forefront. You know Ooh. horror in Britain. Yeah, obviously, yeah, yeah. But you know this movie itself. Yeah, obviously this was a uh, the first big break of a lot of actors as well. You know, Killian Murphy, Christopher Eccleston. Obviously yeah, they've been in projects yeah, before, famous. and he went on to be Doctor Who very soon after. So mm -hmm. you know, uh, yeah. but you know Killian Murphy, especially Naomi Harris. Uh, the, I think the one scene I always remember from this movie is the riot gear. Uh, that's all you know it's a very smart way of approaching you know how this how to fight in this world and you know not get infected and everything again mm -hmm. such a stunning movie and this movie is almost 20 is 20 years old it's, in it's November. an old film now yeah 2002 right we're going right back with this this year and um what what, what another thing i like about this film i think it's done really well is danny boyle sort of broke the cardinal rule of of zombie films when he made this film in that up till then a lot of zombie films especially romero's work as well followed a trend of the zombies kind of here and the apocalypse has happened, but you're never really told why or how it happens. Um, and like you said, with The Last of Us taking their cues from the whole ant thing, these guys took their cue from the whole rage virus, the whole chimpanzees, the whole uh, rabies kind of angle. And, you know, that was put at the forefront very quickly onto how the zombies actually occurred. And up until then, that was very much not a, not a thing. You know, it would be a cardinal sin to say how it started. So, you know, that kicked off a very big movement in kind of a zombie literature of, of sort of explaining more about kind of how the zombies come about in their relevant universes. 
yeah no definitely agree and uh again you know tr- also you gotta remember people in london trying to shut down parts of london in this time period as well probably you know just trying to film these sequences was you know how, how desolate london looked which had never been done before mm. it was yeah, completely this- empty like you watch the film and there are scenes where they're in you know there's a square and whatnot right and it's completely empty um and ironically it's quite funny because i know people were comparing uh, how london looked during the lockdown the first two lockdowns for coronavirus uh they were they were showing like scenes of london and they looked identical to to stills you know from this film and it's like oh my god it's like it's actually happening <laughs> you know it's the london's actually locked down there's no one on the streets it's literally 28 days later yeah i mean this is that this was made before anyone could imagine a real life pandemic um which i guess pre-covid kind of ch- Pre-post-COVID, I guess there might be a bit of a change of tone to watching this film if you've lived through that. You'd be a bit more like... Good point, yeah. No, 100%. Yeah, it's very... Uh, ironically, it's when I was looking it up earlier, just to refresh my memory of some bits, I'm pretty sure um, they did a PR stunt where they like had a big old projector and it, was, it projected on the cliffs of Dover, something like, you know, turn around, like you, the UK is infected for the film. <laughs> and mm. I that was quite funny because you know woe and behold many years later look what happened to the world <laughs> i mean best way to be best best way to be right but uh thank you very much for that connor and uh, lovely loving the fact that it's on all three of our lists it just goes to show how seminal this film is in a lot of people's minds especially you know for british people you know it, th- there are a few films that you know the descent 20 days later dog soldiers which is another film which doesn't hugely get brought up it's not on my list but i do want to give a very brief mention to that brilliant zombie soldier film i thought i was uh oh sorry werewolf soldier film i said zombie mm. then for some reason but yeah i think 20 days later it definitely takes the cake in regards to you know that sort of movie we're now going to roll over to fergus let's uh let's take your pick sir hello uh say so down two entries already um but let's go for something okay we have dumplings a 2004 Chinese movie about a nice auntie who makes homemade dumplings. Why is this terrifying, Mm. you ask? Um, She's got a secret ingredient that she adds to her dumplings that makes them uh, basically an anti-aging thing. Um, And this aging, fading actress turns up and is absolutely determined to find out what this ingredient is so she can keep being the star of the film star of films uh forever and ever and ever um the horror really comes from what this ingredient uh is really um (laughs) so there is a tradition of eating uh eggs that have uh bird embryos in them to do something similar but um it escalates from there let's put it that way um yeah, oh, no. I, it really put me off dumplings, to be honest. Um, it's like it's like Sweeney Todd, but the East Asian version of Sweeney Todd. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Dumplings instead of meat pies, right? Uh, pretty much, yes. Yeah. Um, so it put me off dumplings for a long time. <laughs> Interesting. Um, it's, it's one worth watching. It's one of these ones that I picked up at like a film festival. I was still going to like things like the Edinburgh Film Festival. Um, just generally, let's see in this trailer because we have the trailer in the background. People, it, it, just her eating the dumpling makes me feel a little nauseous, to be honest, for some reason. Yeah, it's the f- only example I know of food horror, to be honest. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, the only thing I can really relate this to is Sweeney Todd. That's that's literally it. I, I don't think I can relate it to anything else, really. It isn't a musical, no musicals. 
Well, yeah, um, apart from the musical, apart guess. from the musicals, the yeah. storyline of of a uh, of a person who makes pies out of people. Yeah, pretty much. Um, yeah, if you want a grotesque Chinese film that will put you off dumplings, this is your bag. Uh, yeah, this looks wild. I'll put this on my list. Uh, the director's also called Fruit Cham because, of course. Interesting. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Um, luckily, there's no hentai bell ring, ringing today. But yes, Kai, it's kind of it's yeah. a common trend in our podcast. When uh, Fergus, anything tentacle or Japanese anime like sexual related, the hentai bell is rang for Fergus. But hentai bell. Today, <laughs> there's, there's no anime in today's list yet. No. Okay. Yeah. I have many animes I could I could bring up, but but no. Maybe the, maybe that's a list for the future people. I know that Connor and Fergus could uh, definitely take charge of that one. To be honest. But no, uh, yeah, that's a in- very interesting thing. It's 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 just one shot in this trailer. Basically, if you go watch people where she's looking up and just slowly sucking in a dumpling, it doesn't look good in the slightest. Though makes you feel nauseous. But mm. right, so I'm going to pause this now, and uh, we're going to roll it over. Thank you for that, folks. We're going to roll over to my next choice, which uh, we're definitely keeping in the zombie trend now, people. It is. The 2004 Dawn of the Dead movie by Zack Snyder. And I didn't realize this. It was written by James Gunn. I never knew this until today. Like, I, that was actually caught me off guard, to be honest. Again, a lot of, a lot of good actors in this as well. Like, I love the show um, Modern Family. It's a great family comedy. Uh, I love the dad in it, Phil Dunphy. And the, what, but his portrayal in this movie, he's a fucked up man. Like, he is, um, you know, he's a snarky, arrogant businessman. Uh, and compared to his father role, it's just the complete opposite. I actually saw this movie before Twenty Eight Days Later, so it was a it was basically a case of like you know I was introduced to the fast, more aggressive zombie. Though to be fair, that this is the this is the more traditional fast zombie. Obviously, as we mentioned before, Twenty Eight Days Later was the was the fast like non zombie as it were. It was it was the it was the infect. It's, it's there's a difference. I feel there's a difference between infected and zombie. I feel like there's a distinction between both of them because there's different origin points. It also comes back to the uh, the focus point of uh, what Connor was saying before in regards to how like you know in classic zombie trains you don't find out what's actually happening because obviously this starts out after the uh, infection has begun. Uh, but again, I've seen the original 1970s movie with the blue makeup and everything, which was hilarious to see back in the day. Mm. Didn't didn't hugely get me, but going into this, I feel that how they actually worked, how they actually did this movie was so good. And just seeing the, the sheer panic and how this actually increased and also the amount of zombies on screen as well. You know, I feel this like this is probably the first portrayal of like, you know, the, the mass of like infected that could actually take you out. And obviously, you know, you had the entire trying to escape sequence on the buses and, and in classic uh, Dawn of the Dead fashion or, or Dead of Dead fashion, these movies don't usually have a happy ending, which I'm, I'm always very intrigued by to be honest, because usually, you know, in Night of the Living Dead is the prime example for a, for a spoiler for a film that's almost you know 50 60 years old now 1960 um, <laughs> I, I do love the fact that the black man survives until the end of that movie you know which is a which is a trait in horror that's usually a joke you know it's usually the black black character is killed first or or the or the or you know the 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 portray the you know the not intelligent female character it's usually the tropes Night of the Living Dead flipped it up but then it was the twist at the end the hero was shot and killed at the end of the movie, which I loved that fact in that film. Going to Dawn of the Dead, they get off the island, and it was only in a post-credit sequence or a mid-credit sequence that you saw the fact that basically these people 
didn't make it out well because they were like, oh, yeah, we got away. Excellent. And then, oh, no, this didn't go well for them. Mm. <laughs> and this was just a beautifully shot film. Also, creepy fucking CGI baby. Or mm. puppet baby. I didn't even know what it was, but fuck me, was it creepy as fuck. Like, Jesus Christ. But again, I don't think there's really much too much you can say about this film, but, like, you know, because... We've got we've had so many zombie films as zombie properties come out now with The Walking Dead and Resident Evil, which is not on my list by the way at all. Um, any of them, fuck that. Um, and maybe we'll skip we'll skip the first two, but I'll give that a leeway. But again, <laughs> I feel that this was sort of like the first good American like push in the zombie genre. Twenty days later for Britain, America for uh, you know for this mm. thing, and I just think it was a brilliant film. It was it was a really good film to be fair. I, I like it a lot. I mean, I'm a huge fan of Romero's work anyway, and this is is obviously like a, a remake of of one of his films anyway because I love the original um, as well. I think the original is fine. It's old and it has its nuances, but that is how uh, you know old zombie films be, right? <laughs> and and Romero is is the godfather of zombie films. He's responsible for introducing the world to Night of the Living Dead. You know, the OG film which you know kicked off what a zombie was really um and, and not only that yeah the dude was a fantastic director he was he was revolutionary and like you said his portrayal of of um of black actors except especially back in the time was was revolutionary you know he was he was doing things and and putting uh you know actors and, and people of color on the forefront of his films really you know lead acting roles i'm talking about here which is something that you know hollywood had had hadn't you know even considered flirting with before until romero came along and, and did it in his films it's interesting that sci-fi and horror were the first first ones because obviously you know star trek pushed the you know the uh the, you know the whole equality at equality mm. pursuit there and then romero doing this for horror which is interesting you know you don't get this in more mainstream movies until much later mm. it was those genres that actually pushed it more so you were going to say yeah. something i was just gonna say it's i probably the origin of the uh zombie shopping mall which is in basically every other zombie yeah yeah I, I mean the original film 100 i mean it, without that without romero doing the original film we probably wouldn't have dead rising the game mm. <laughs> yeah you know, the first dead rising is literally that film basically in a nutshell yeah i it's, it's, it's also sort of encloses people into like they're surrounded by zombies for a lot of the film but they're not fighting their way through zombies for the entire film they're kind of trying to get on with each other in a stressful again pandemic -y sort of situation and a lot of people are flawed characters and you mm. know so it kind of uh what do you call it a bottle episode kind of so i yeah. think it's uh I, yeah it's it's the breakdown of society in a, an enclosed environment because obviously yeah it, it kind of reminds me of lord of the flies a bit you know how society breaks down into groups and everything but also that was on an island so it's an interesting fact but you know the zombie is more like a catalyst effect to this and you know, seeing the societal breakdown in that regard and how, you know, people approach it in different ways. So, yeah, no, I, I love the, how that, you know, the shopping mall is basically an island in a sense for survival, but it, it, as well, it, it's it's a, it's an island for death. So, yeah. I love that analogy. <laughs> yeah. Island for death. And to be fair, like the, the original one, the Romero one, you know, it still holds the one of my favorite quotes of all times when it comes to zombies films. And, and that's that when there's no room in hell, the dead will walk the earth. And that is a fantastic little quote. Didn't they bring that for The Walking Dead? Mm, well, yeah, I, I mean, potentially, I don't know. I, I fell off The Walking Dead a, a long time ago now. 
but um yeah the og dawn of the dead liked uh poster which is fantastic i love the poster for the first dawn of the dead film um with the the zombie looking over kind of the the, the line the horizon it's very minimalist artwork but it's really well done and they've got that little tagline above it and it's just such a good tagline and you know since that has been used in so many different things uh gorillas used it in their b-sides album as well in like a little section of that and it's just very a very influential quote and it defines the zombie genre beautifully yeah no i definitely agree an illegal spy agency discovers the theft of a prototype weapon derek codename confused llama and his handler frank codename majestic vol investigate the theft a naive man with fanciful notions, Derek sets out on his inept journey to reclaim the weapon from villainous hands, unaware of the hidden tale following him. Enter the world of Confused Llama, a spy's tale, a short comedic spy thriller available on Amazon in paperback or Kindle. Right, that's, uh, that's my next pick. So uh, we're actually going to flip it back to you now, Connor. What's your next choice, my man? Um, I was going to go with something a bit newer, but I might just I might finish off this little section with an older one, and then I can bounce back my last pick into a into a new one. <laughs> uh, so this one is obviously not going to be a surprise to anyone, probably. Um, and that is the nineteen seventy nine really Scott classic Alien, the very first Alien, of course. Um, I actually we love might... Aliens as well. Um, we are uh, we Alien. might be uh, coming back to uh, we might be coming back oh. to the uh, the genre later. So okay. let's uh, let's continue now. Yeah. So, yeah. So... I love Aliens. I do love the second one. It's really good. Um, I think the second one's more actiony. The first one, however, that 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 right there, my man, that is a prime example of a masterclass in sci-fi horror. You know, the the pacing of the film, the atmosphere the film generates, the set design, everything about this film is just so perfectly crafted, and you get such so sucked in and and drawn into the world. You just feel like you know so engrossed by the film. And I remember when I watched it as a kid, I was so enthralled by this film. And the alien was this just you know, this figure, this enigmatic figure that would kind of appear out of nowhere and you were constantly on edge waiting for this thing to appear and hot damn, you know, the, the alien's design as well. That is just one of probably the best creature designs in the world. H.R. Geiger, what a man. The, the dude was unbelievable, you know, absolutely unbelievable. And it's a shame that he's no longer with us either. Um, his artwork is incredible. Biomechanical artwork that he did. We are still getting his work though, really. Mm. I mean, like like all you know, like all artists, right? Even even death does not stop them from uh, from influencing media and influencing the world around. You know, and with some artists, right? Death death only serves as a catalyst to actually you know propel them even higher than they ever did alive. Um, and and Geiger Geiger's work is fantastic. And if you've never seen Geiger's work before, I would one hundred percent recommend you check it out because it is disturbing. It is sexual. It is dark. It is grim. It is mind-boggling it's so strange and surreal his artwork really can't be described very well um but if you like video games there is a good game coming out very soon uh called scorn which very very much borrows from kind of geiger's art style uh and you know playing that game i think will be a very good very good look into a geiger painting really i feel like walking around a geiger painting um, but his work on the xenomorph was nothing short of incredible you know it's a timeless design and yeah, it just adds so much to the film. I know, uh, you know, give a bit of praise to the guy because I have you ever seen the concept art for the Geiger Batmobile? Bat, mm. Batmobile, yeah. Batmobile, Batmobile. Like, that yeah. was that was some fucking creepy. Mm. 
yeah, like but... shit. And no, I I totally agree on this man. Like you know, looking when I first saw it, itself, also that iconic chest bursting scene mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. you know even to this day it's still been homage to this day. And I'm not gonna lie, I did see it in Spaceballs first. That that's you know I say <laughs> like, like the fact I've never seen Top Gun because I've seen hot hot uh, you know hot shots. Mm. Spaceballs did kind of ruin the aesthetic, oh, but also. Man. I think even even I the, it it did still get me because I think even though it was inspired there was no top hat dancing sequence with it but uh, you mm. know the fact that we still got that scene and how also if I remember like reading some of the back, behind the scenes you know the cast didn't know exactly what was going to happen in this scene so the, some of the reactions are genuine mm. in that scene yeah I mean that 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 already right is fantastic I love that improv I love that real emotions being captured on on their faces right because it's a pretty harrowing scene the chest burst scene um and also iconic like you said right it's been it's been memed and it's been made into other representations so much uh i remember when i was a kid looking at the simpsons version of it where they had the drawing of homer with like the uh the, the can of like the the can the fake can with the with the worms that jump out of it like that old prank and they had kind of that on his chest and like the worms were coming out of the hole that kind of thing you know so it's 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 a very iconic and very culturally kind of important i think um scene for horror yeah no i uh and also uh i'm gonna i am gonna link this to star wars very briefly like two uh characters uh who are both you know uh black in their design have very little screen time in their first movies as well like the alien i believe only has about six minutes of entire screen time in the entire movie and also Mm. jazz hands (laughs) <laughs> well the thing is right that that's that's great because the alien itself right even being this dominating figure isn't even you know visible on screen a lot of the time it's the atmosphere that he brings and the energy that the alien brings into the film which is what i think gives it such a um such a fantastic grounding and makes you really scared so we are going to uh, actually speak about a film in a minute which i think links to this movie very well and it came out around the same time uh but i've got to give two uh, big props to Sir ian holm as well like obviously we you know there's no, you know, we could talk all we want about Sigourney Weaver. She's just fucking brilliant in the film. And we're probably going to talk about her later. The entire cast is awesome. And for seeing Holm as, you know, the android as well, you know, uh, was, was, he was so good in the movie. And yeah, this is, I think the fact I saw the second one first, I, I felt was kind of bad in a sense, because I feel that, because obviously, you know, the second one is much more, as you said, action based. It mm. takes away from the suspense. Yeah. And also the alien designs are smaller in the second mm. movie. They are, you know, a different breed essentially, you know, so they are they are small in their design. And the alien in this movie, like how we just moved, like seeing behind the scenes footage of the um the portrayal by uh Balaji uh, Badeo uh, as the alien. I, you know, he was six foot ten or seven foot in the costume. That just goes to show the design of this movie and just Geiger's inspiration. Also, like, you know. These weren't these weren't action heroes as well, you know. We were we were in a time period of like you know big action stars, and you know also this movie is the first real portrayal of a female action star. It brought to the forefront, you know. It's interesting to have all these genres. The Terminator is another film that I think was the second after this to bring in you know a female led actress who in a thriller or horror which did push that more forward. I don't actually. Um, uh, Jamie Lee Curtis was probably before. Uh, uh, Linda Hamilton, to be honest. I believe Halloween was before The Terminator. Uh, but yeah, no, again, this was the start of the female-led horror movies, essentially, you know, because even Hall- even uh, Psycho back in the day was, wasn't was as like this, but I felt like Alien, The Terminator, and Halloween was, was the start of this genre, to be honest. Hard agree. So, yeah. Hard yeah. agree. 
Yeah. Uh, uh, did you have any uh, points, Fergus? Um, just about the uh, continuing. Let's say we've on to Prometheus and conversations about Prometheus two going forward in terms of exploring the, I guess, rich backstory of aliens. Um, but one question I would raise about alien aliens is. How on earth did the aliens survive if they're entirely reliant on humans who they've never met before to jump out of their chests as part of their breeding cycle? <laughs> well, well it, it's not it's not just uh it's not just like humans. So like is any any creature can can host an alien or host a xenomorph and the um alien the free. Of, yeah. The mm -hmm. idea of the redesigns of the aliens and how sometimes the aliens look different is because the the law for them, or very loosely, is that the xenomorphs sort of their appearance changes depending on whatever their host is. So you see the the big black creepy alien in the original Alien, which is like known as sort of the classic xenomorph, and that's sort of widely attributed to it's a human host. But there are ones in Alien Three, for example, the small uh, brown ones um, called like runners, and and they have dogs as their host instead, which is oh. why they have a very different appearance and and why they're kind of more bipedal. Than the, right. the bigger black aliens uh, from the very first one, and the pred alien from, from you know from pred, you know, when yeah, yeah, depends how far yeah. you want to go down the hole, really, and how muddy you want to get them all waters. <laughs> and I believe there was original there. There is questions about the whole egg, you know, reproduction process. Like I believe there was conversations about how the production of aliens came about. But again, you know, that's a whole rabbit hole mm. we could go down. People to be honest, yeah, Alien is such a an amazing movie, and I'm really sad I didn't see it first before Aliens. But we'll, we'll definitely get into the conversation a bit later. Right, so I'm uh, gonna hand it uh, back to Fergus now. So, what is your what is your next film, sir? Uh, next film is another film I randomly picked up from, I guess, the Edinburgh Film Festival. So, this is 2006, a film called Black Sheep, um, an experiment in genetic engineering turns harmless sheep into bloodthirsty killers, and they start terrorizing this uh, sprawling New Zealand farm. Um, so this is a nice film, by the way. This is really good. <laughs> <laughs> I like this film a lot. I've seen it myself. It is really good. It's it was so it was uh, it's like sort of classic trashy horror, but also pretty scary because like there's a couple lives on a farm. There's not really much around other than sheep. And in New Zealand, sheep very much outnumber people. Um, so I guess it'd be absolutely terrifying for a New Zealander <laughs> be surrounded by bloodthirsty sheep. Um, that's what makes the premise so cool though there's no one else but there is sheep yeah there's a lot of tropes of especially on the side of the trashier horror films of like unexpected items being terrifying like uh, the, the one where the tire roams around the town and murders people comes to mind this is kind of like similar to that but also a bit more serious because it's more plausible because it's sheep in New Zealand um I definitely recommend it if you're after a not so trashy, want to laugh, also be kind of scared to a horror film sort of thing. Um, like considerably better than Sharknado, but it's not going to scare the pants off you like Alien. So ideal, I'd say. Interesting. Uh, again, like I've never seen this film myself. I've, um, I've, I've seen like. <laughs> I have seen like some of the footage for the the Thai movie you went about, which I think is actually quite funny. You know, these sorts of like subgenre movies, like within the horror itself, like it it, it sort of takes the the piss to a degree, but like it is is the comedy effect that goes with that. Uh, no, it's it's a good choice, man. Um, I we mentioned you know comedy 
horror. I think mm. we're going to take along to my next pick now, which uh, I know me and uh, Connor having a little conversation about this before because uh, it, it would have definitely been on his, his list, but he knows I'm, I was going to be talking about this. It's a little movie where if you get a bit oh. of red on your shirt, it could cause issues. We are talking about Edgar Wright's 2004 movie, Shaun of the Dead. Mm, this movie is fucking brilliant. It's incredible, yeah. It and starting off the Cornetto trilogy. No, uh, this, um, you know, this movie brings in, it, it does take on the whole trip, something, you know, the classic horror genre. I do love the fact that this came out the same year as Dawn of the Dead, which I think is actually, you know, great perspective having, you know, a British horror movie take the piss out of the horror genre, zombie genre and having sort of like the the the, the resurgence of the the actual horror from the american perspective which is an in, is interesting an interesting way to take it so many amazing actors in this movie as well you know to go on to do so many amazing things and also and brought about so many memes like you know what go to the pub wait for it or blow over and everything you know uh what you want from the shop oh cornetto uh, you know it, it's, it's just all these things that come from this movie and a lot gory than I actually expected. Like when it gets to the final fight sequence, how how gory this movie actually got. And uh, you know, I believe Edgar Wright did a few films before this, but this was sort of like you know his um, you know his big break essentially. Like he he done smaller movies, but I think after this movie, this was sort of like oh no, this is the Edgar Wright that we all want. You know, it's this is this is a director who is so so creative in what he does and how it's approached. I've uh, so I know in one of our previous podcasts we talked about like you know cult TV shows and like what shows we've watched. I'd never seen the show Spaced, so I wasn't I didn't know about Nick Frost and Simon Pegg at the time. It was this movie that actually introduced me to them. And again, like you know, the entire opening sequence of this movie as well, you know, it takes you through a day in the life of this character, and then it recycles the entire day again, but from the post-apocalyptic well, the well, the apocalyptic perspective. And the ending was hilarious as well. You know, life just goes on and they just deal with the situation. We obviously, you know, it's a movie that's almost 20 years old. We're not going to spoil it for you if you've not seen it. Just go fucking watch it because it's not a long movie. It's only like, you know, an hour. It's just over an hour and a half, which is perfect for a movie. But again, you know, actually, this movie didn't do actually do well that well to us. Like in box office terms, it's hugely in the world because it was made for about six million, which really goes to show the budget went really well. But it only made thirty million in the box office. Now this goes to the whole conversation of big, big box office numbers. You know, detriment to a or you know determinant of a good film. No, it's the percentage of the movie the box office it makes compared to the budget it has. And this just goes to show for a film that made six times its budget, especially for what it did creatively, works really well. And this is this is a seminal piece of horror. I also I think this also definitely brought in how. A scary movie brought in the the thriller comedy aspect. I feel this brought in the horror gore comedy. This was sort of like the front line of that genre, essentially, and how it how it um, shot off from there. Fergus, it's very much a cult film. Um, say spawned the Cornetto trilogy um, as other films, which are not horror because they are very different. Um, but I, I believe this is the first film these guys this team did um so they were ramping up to this for the best part of a decade i guess in terms of the british tv world um but it's they they the, the characters don't take it too seriously like so with previous entries 28 days later the the characters take the zombies very seriously in this not so much 
which again is quite refreshing for the zombie genre. Oh, it's a uh, I yeah, like you said, Nate. This is this is a film that I adore. I absolutely love this film. It's one of my favourite films of all time. I can I can sit here and I can probably recite every line in this film. That's how much I know it, and that's how how many times I've watched it as well. Um, yeah, this is an incredible film, and it, it definitely cemented my love for horror. Uh, my love for comedy as well and merge the two together in a f- absolute fantastic kind of amalgamation you know and this film is genuinely it's 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 been with me like forever i've seen it so much i've 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 made friends off of this film you know off of talking to people about this film me me and uh one of my closest oldest friends zach we absolutely adore this film we can we can both quote this film like off by heart and it's just it's such a good time it is you know it's, it's 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 a it's a it's a rom com basically in essence, but it's it's a it's a zombie rom com. So it's a rom com with zombies, which is you know <laughs> a very weird mishmash of genres. But my god, it's just it is one of the best films you will ever see. You know, it oozes taste, it oozes class, um, and I think once again it's also best of British. It's also a very similar British film. There is a lot of British actors in this film, but not just that. There's also a lot of things I think which are very relatable to British people. You know, a lot of things like the, the the newscasters, for example, on the TV. You know, there's real newscasters from British television at the time. It's relatable content. It's content that you know, if you were in Britain and you were alive during this time period, you understood the things that they spoke about in the film. You know, no, I did forget. And also, I think uh, this uh, with Edgar Wright's uh, act, you know, not acting style, his directing style. This brought to the forefront, you know, music in movies used as a plot point as well. You know, I think Baby Driver is sort of like the limit he's actually gone with that so far. Probably, or maybe Scott Pilgrim. But this movie definitely started off that way, and you know how how music can play a really critical role in actually telling the narrative of story from from a horror perspective because i don't think that's ever been done before either obviously you had your your movie themes you know you know we'll probably be talking about a movie in a, in a second in regards to that but this is actually an integral part of how the story played out you know uh, and it actually ties back you know how the music links back to certain sequences in the movie and like it, it does refresh your memory in regards to that especially during the final turns and you know sequences also again you know this isn't a this isn't a a kid-friendly film in any sense of the word. It's a very gory film, which, which definitely caught me off guard. Because when you first start the film, it's like, oh, okay, this is um, you know, it's 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 a light-hearted zombie film, and then you get to the end, it's like, oh no, fuck me, this is actually very gory, but it still has a light-hearted tone to it. Even when you're seeing all this gore, you're still laughing with it, which is fucking hilarious. And how they could pull that off, it's just it's just so well done, mm-hmm. so well done. Yeah, and again, I can't fault it. If you and again another film that's about an hour and forty minutes long, you know it, it's it should, just go watch people. If you've never seen this, and then go watch Hot First. Maybe not The World's End afterwards. I'm not hugely on that film, but you know uh, definitely go watch Hot First after this because it continues on directing director's traits that and shoot and shooting traits that continue on into the into the entire trilogy. Uh, yeah, no, so that's my next pick. So we're gonna we're gonna flip back to Connor now. What's uh, what's your next pick, man? Hey yo, have I got a have I got two more? Have I got two more, right? Do five yeah. of them, okay. Um, hmm, do I go for the old or the new? Mm. What do you feel good for, my man? What do you feel good for? We're going, we're going new, we're going new, and we can end on old. Um, so the next one is the 2018 film Hereditary by oh, Ariasta. Ariasta's debut film, actually, debut horror film. And oh man, this film done, this film done messed me up in many ways, but. Damn, is it a good ride? Holy hell. Ariasta is is quickly becoming, I think, one of my favorite horror directors. Um, this guy 
just absolutely slammed this film out of the park. He created this this film which just took me for an absolute ride. Honestly, Hereditary is a wild film and it is relatively new, so I'm not going to spoil the plot at all for you. Um, and it's just a very mind-bending uh, take on sort of the old kind of paranormal tropes in films, but it takes a lot of twists and turns that you just do not see coming at all. Um, and like I said, this for him, this was his basically, you know, big blockbuster debut and holy hell what a film to do it on it is absolutely incredible um and it's maybe just so enthralled by his films i really 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 want to see midsummer i've not seen midsummer yet um and that's another film by him as well and i'm just super hyped to finally watch that too because i love this guy's style he's very his films are very abstract he takes a lot of risks he he definitely pushes the angle i think on what is what horror is and definitely what the genre is i, I think it breaks out quite a lot um yeah, it's just a very mind-bending, very mind-bending trip. It really makes you think, you know, tension, twists and turns throughout this film. I I have seen parts, because I, I, a few podcasts I've actually reviewed this. I'm, I'm still, I was still in the phase of, like, you know, appreciating A24 more, because, again, you know, A24 is the leading production, one of the leading production companies at the moment. They've done so many good things like you know again you know midsummer is an another a24 property and also uh, everything ever all at once a24 you know i believe the invisible man was a24 as well um i might be wrong there might be universal because i believe they're in the right so i've got that i might you know I, I, I won't believe that but I, I made an error but you know i've se- i've seen how this movie plays out as well like and fuck me does it go in some directions honestly, i did not expect yeah, you you are not prepared for the ending at all in this film honestly it is it's just out there and it's so goddamn good wholeheartedly recommend anyone check it out honestly ariaster is such a beast he ah oh, amazing film have you seen the vich uh the what sorry the the, the it, it, it's it's witch but it's pronounced vich i don't think i have no <laughs> so yeah it's, it's an anya taylor joy movie and it, it follows a similar approach and how like you know the movie is very creepy up to points, and then it just fucking it just drops, and it's like, mm. what the fuck is going on, basically? Yeah, the, the and, last like twenty minutes of this film is just knuckle ride. It's just you're literally clenched to your seat. You you need to see how it ends, and you have to get through it. And it's just mm, like I just can't describe it honestly. It, it definitely refreshed horror in my eyes, you know, because horror is a is a is a genre in itself, right? That has been done and, and redone so many times, and it is very hard to keep it fresh, but this man has come along and he very much has done that because honestly this is a watch this is such a good watch like i that. can tell you midsomer is definitely this level like it literally I'm very like watch midsomer honestly and also, that's the big that's the big I, I i'd say that's the big sort of push of florence Pugh as well that was sort of her movie as well mm. but like uh you know tony coletti in this movie from what i've heard she is amazing like as the mother. all of the actors the actresses yeah. are fantastic in this film they really pull it out and like i said he's He's not afraid to to really get in deep, to really dig deep as well, and to really uh, once again explore quite ambitious and and kind of ambiguous ways of film and cinematography. A lot of his shots, a lot of his styles, they're arranged in a very you know non-conformist way, and it's fantastic to see. You know, he really pushes out strange zooms and and pans and stuff like that, and it's just awesome to see. You know, he's really kind of abstract and out there cinematography styles it's it's not clinical in the slightest right this isn't your uh you know your your normal kind of quick quick blockbuster flick marvel-esque kind of film this is ariaster has crafted this fantastic story and he's really got deep on like the art level of the film the act of making the film so it's actually nice interesting to cut this because obviously ariaster he's done two 
really fucked up movies like you know um actually ironically the producer of the vich did this movie i've just seen in the trailer now as people but like just reading up on his wiki his next movie is actually a horror comedy it is yes which, yeah so with a uh, wacom phoenix that's going to mm-hmm. be very interesting to see next year um again you know i've never seen this film all the way through i've seen clips of it i know you know parts of it would happen i know i pretty much know the film premise and yeah connor's definitely right like this this film goes in places you do not fucking expect. Honestly, honestly. yeah. You, you're not ready for this at all. And, and I'm very much looking forward to his new film as well. The Disappointment Boulevard one. Um, yeah. Although he has said in interviews that he wants it to be like four hours long. So I don't know if it's actually going to be four hours oh long. Oh my God. Or like, if he's just is... taking the piss. I think he might just be taking the piss for like creative effect. Um, but like if it is four hours long, oh God, help me. Because that's a long ass film. And I am I mean, becoming a bit sick of long films. <laughs> It does say a decade spanning portrayal, though. So it's like an, mm. maybe an hour, a decade. Oh my God, that'd be. I don't know. But he, he has claimed he wants, wanted it to be a four hour long horror comedy. So, like, I don't know. I don't know, to be honest. Oh, that'd be really weird. But yeah, th- thank you for that. Uh, I kind of expected something creepy to pop up on your list. And uh, glad it was definitely that one. So we're going to roll over to Fergus now. What's your, what's your next pick, sir? Uh, next pick, sticking with the horror, the horror comedy. Um, our friend Taika Waititi has a horror film, uh, What We Do in the Shadows. Uh, this is uh, co-directed by Taika Waititi and Jermaine Clement from Flight of the Concords. So a lot of, uh, again, New Zealand-based humour, I think. Uh, so basic premise is uh, a household of vampires living in the modern day uh, invite a documentary crew to do a documentary on their lives day-to-day lives so it's the day-to-day life uh of vampires humorously as it is is so great i i am a fan of taika watiti's humor um you may have seen my very high rating for his last outing with thor um yeah again a fairly unique perspective on vampires because normally they're kind of like you're running away from the vampires or they're you know being terrifying this is actually get to see how life would look if you did live for 200 300 years and you couldn't go out in the daylight and you had all the like classic tropes um now it's truly brilliant this film um more on the comedy than the horror but i mean horror themes because you know vampires and all this sort of business but no truly brilliant if you've not seen it already definitely go and see it I uh, I've never seen this. I've never seen the show. I've I've heard the show is really good as well. Like the actual, and it, is it actually uh, a continuation of the movie? No, it's completely different cast for a start. Um, I don't think the show is as good. Well, they're quite different. The show and the movie are pretty different. I think someone bought the rights to the concept and then completely reimagined it for the TV show. Um, I don't think Taika Waititi's behind the TV show. I'd have to double check that, but. Um, mm. I would say the film's a lot better, but I saw the film first, so um, oh, double-checking it. Oh, no, Jermaine Clement continued on without Taika Waititi for the TV show, so different... different. Uh, it's got Matt Barry in it, the TV show. Um, Excited for what he was in the film, to be honest. Uh, a very similar actor, but not the same guy yeah. uh, for the film. Um, but yeah, no, as I say, it's, 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 tr- it's truly good. Um, if you enjoy like Flight of the Concords style humor, you will definitely get a kick out of this. They meet some werewolves at one point. Um, pretty humorous. Yeah, no, 10 out of 10. Definitely recommend. It looks really good. I've never seen it myself, actually, but I'd be up to watch that. 
Taika Waititi is a fantastic, fantastic dude. I like his work, so I feel like I'd get on with this film pretty well. Yeah, no, it, it is it is a laugh. May have to be a Halloween film, because uh, it might be a little, <laughs> little treat to the Halloweens, people. Halloween! But yeah, no, uh, that's, thank you very much, Fergus. Right, we're going to run over to my guy quickly now. So, Connor made a comment earlier about how, like, you know, the uh, the tension of you know, you know, the suspense and, you know, with Alien and how not seeing the not seeing what's coming to kill you like you know how how the tension actually plays into that and there was a quote i believe someone said before that the movie i'm about to speak to it's pretty much the precursor to this but underwater i am talking about jaws people the original jaws from 1975 this movie like i know alien was described by a lot of people as jaws in space mm. uh you know this this movie still terrifies me to this day. For water, I still can't go above my waistline or shoulder line because I'm terrified I'm going to get eaten by a shark. It, it, I don't know what it is. It's just, it literally just goes to show how well this movie was in regards to, you know, what is under the water. And with fucking global warming now, sharks actually appearing in the UK, you know, how, how this actually plays out in that, in that regard. Like, you know, what could actually be going on there? Um... I, I don't know. I just think it's a it's a great movie. I think this movie also has one of the best soundtracks of all time with literally two keys played to literally introduce this entire like immense villain. It, it, is, it is a villain, horror villain, because, you know, the shark is the villain. But, you know, the fact that John Williams was able to create such a such a soundtrack to this film from such a simplicity of notes. And, you know, and actually play, just playing us on the keyboard for Spielberg, I believe it was literally a case of they were together once and, you know, John Williams just started playing the keys. And that's how the, you know, that's how the, that's how the theme was born. And then that theme plays out for a lot of part of this film and it continued for many, many years to come. Made so many homages from it as, as time went by, you know. And also, you know, how the puppetry went into this movie as well, you know, building that huge shark and even seeing the behind the scenes photo to this day of like, you know, the actors being inside the mouth of the shark is still quite funny, but... And granted, don't watch Jaws Free. It's it's not good. We we watched it last year. It's a it's a very it's a very hilarious movie to actually go watch. So but it's so good. <laughs> but Jaws, the first Jaws, though, like you know the fact and Spielberg. I believe this was Spielberg's first big movie. So you know the fact that he came out with this movie like four years, a free two years before, uh, you know George Lucas came out with um with Star Wars. You know what Spielberg did for the film industry in 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 this regard is just it's just inspirational. It's just absolutely amazing. And obviously, I didn't realize this is actually based on a novel. I thought it was just an original concept, so this wasn't actually the case. But you know, and obviously, it gives us the one of the best lines in uh, horror and or just film history. We're gonna need a bigger boat. You know, it's you know these types of films which have these like you know classic lines that go with these movies. Again. You know how this movie plays out is just st stupendous, and it just goes to show if a film can make you terrified of going in water for a film that came out almost fifty years ago, it just goes to show how well this movie plays out. Obviously, you know you have films like Piranhas that's out now, but that's that's nothing compared to mm -hmm. a fucking shark, which can happen now because of global because great whites have been spotted in the UK now, which is fucked up. But yeah, right. I'm gonna have to have to Fergus. He's got he's got a point to make. Uh, no, I was gonna say it's a, it's a really good film. Um, I think if you heard the um, about the the reason that the shark doesn't appear in the film was because their model just kept malfunctioning anytime they put it near water. Um, <laughs> so 
I, I think they originally intended it to be like a proper bitey bitey shark front and center sort of horror film. And the fates decided it was actually going to be a good film, <laughs> basically. Um, no, it's a truly great film. Um, as you say, it's pretty realistic. Like a lot of people have sat on beaches in places where there are sharks. Um, of course, you're going to be scared of sharks. It's not irrational to be scared of sharks. They eat people. Uh, well, great whites do, and killer whales. Um, so, I, yeah, I, I think you're probably not alone about not being able to go back into the water about with um, the horror of sharks. Um, I mean, I'm pretty sure it's one of the tagline for like Jaws two, wasn't it? You thought it was safe to go back in or something? Yeah, I mean, like you know, I like, I can't swim, so that's even worse for me because I went out on a boat when I was little to go onto a pirate ship on the horizon that was you know Russian pirate ship. And my family went on this like boat out into the, you know, the current was coming in. So the boat was shaking like really heavily. My family was going to me, yeah, grab your sister to keep her safe. And I'm like, I can't swim. I'm, I want to grab the, 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 the floater, floaty thing, you know, to survive. And then obviously, you know, not being able to touch what's underneath you is also terrifying. So not knowing what's below you in the deep, mm. you know, there could be anything down there. Cause again, like the fact that the world's oceans haven't been truly explored yet, you know, it's terrifying yeah. stuff, and this movie—I don't know. This, this is why I put this so high on my, not even high on my list on this list because it just goes to show a film having a personal effect on people and coming out so long ago. I think this still affects people today, probably, you know, because for what it did. So yeah, that—that's the reason why Jaws from 1975 is on my list. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're gonna we're gonna flip back to Connor now. I believe this is uh, his uh, final pick. Mm. Final pick. So <clears throat> this one's actually like a. I don't know. I, mean, I do for one film, but I, there isn't a film that I want to bolt onto it because it's kind of for similar reasons. Um, so the film is uh, 1982's John Carpenter's The Thing. Um, damn, this film doesn't really need any introduction, to be fair. It is creepy, spooky, disturbing to watch everything, you know, rolled into a, a nice, tidy package. Uh, and also Kurt Russell as well. So yeah, big up that. <laughs> but yeah, no, The Thing is, um, is a, a fantastic film. Um, Adapted from a book, uh, and I always forget the name, the title of the book. I think it's called "Who Goes There" or "Someone Goes There," something like that. I think that's the initial book's title. But the thing is, basically, uh, a visual telling of of that book, um, and it's just yeah, it's super creepy. It's super atmospheric. Um, it has a lot in in, in common with uh, Alien uh, in that regard. The, the film is a bit of a slow burn until sort of the midpoint, and then stuff starts really getting real. Uh, and this film is is just a fantastic example of like paranoia as a concept as well because in the film you know a lot of a lot of the human characters are all kind of put on to each other quite a lot uh, on who could be this the thing um and the actual thing itself is horrific this creepy nightmarish creature alien thing from you know beyond the stars which is just unimaginable to kind of humans but what makes it so interesting is that the practical effects in this film were just breathtaking everything in this film is 100 practical and it was all made in in real life like the, the thing of the thing, if you see the film, the alien, the creature is fucking horrendous. <laughs> it is so goddamn creepy, so goddamn scary. I can't imagine like that model just kind of still existing after the film. Like having that in your house just as like a conversational piece would be amazing, but also horrific. Like seeing that just in your living room at night would, would shit me up to no end because there are some scenes in this film which are just unbelievably graphic for the time. But not only that, it's just all practical, which is what really gets me. It's all real. It's all 100% mannequins, puppets, the works. And 
I think that adds a a degree of kind of realism, which you know a lot of modern films nowadays don't really have, because you know in the advent of kind of computer technology and, and CG and whatnot, you kind of miss out on those practical effects. And and the thing one hundred percent nailed that. And honorable mention to uh, nineteen eighty seven Hellraiser, the first Hellraiser film, um, another one of my favorites. Hard to pick between both of them, to be fair. But that is another film uh, that very much also leveraged kind of real visual effects, you know, flesh, fake flesh, all that kind of stuff, you know, real kind of actual no VFX stuff. And and that for me was fantastic because it does, you know, it has a bit of a, adds a bit of imagination to it that you don't really see nowadays. No, I, uh, yeah, this, this, this film is just stunning. Like, you know, Kurt Russell as this, uh, as his cat, as his main, main, main actor. And he, again, he isn't the seminal hero in this movie. Mm. You know, it's it's a it's a it's literally a survival film, but also it's a it's a, you know it, the film. Yeah, going off of what you said, for it is a the book was called Who Goes There, so it is actually a basic thing. Also, like there was a there was a film before this, like you know there was a adaptation before mm. this um, that was done in the fifties, I believe. Like there was actually like a film like back in the uh, the fifties um, that actually mm. went for this, and I know uh, I know that. Um, Blumhouse are actually trying to remake the thing for twenty for for one. Now I think if a company can do it, Blumhouse is probably the one that could. Because mm. I saw I saw the um the 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 prequel they did in two thousand eleven, and that yeah. was just siege. Like you going yeah. on about practical effects, mm. the CGI was awful. Yeah, like, it's, not, it's not a bad film per se, and and to be honest, I still think there are some bits in that film that the CGI isn't too bad. Um, but it just doesn't hit the notes that the original did because it doesn't have that atmosphere that the original one did either. It seeks to imitate it, but it just can't be done. Like I said, the, the way these practical effects were made in these scenes, like the head crawling scene, for example, yeah, is horrific. Like that kind of stuff is just not, it's just not, it's just, you can't replicate that kind of horror and the, the way the lighting hits it and the way it interacts, the, act, the actors interact with it as well with with CG. It's just, you can't do that. And it's the same with Hellraiser as well, you know, the way they did their their effects, which is something that does worry me for the upcoming Hellraiser film. Um like it's actually out now. So that Hellraiser film that came out uh is, you know, that reliance once again on CGI. And even if the CGI is good, it the originals had that sort of edge where they kept it all in and and also the gore as well. That's the thing. You know, the the, the Hellraiser film and this film both incredibly gory. Um and it showed the gore as well. And and nowadays we kind of have a, a bit of a weird thing in 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 kind of horror where we do these kind of cuts. And we will kind of build up attention, build up attention, but we actually cut it away before it happens. You don't see the actual, the end result. Whereas these films come from a time where that wasn't really a concept. Like you see it happen, you know, there's a dude in Hellraiser who like is nailed to a, a post and he has his like his, his face like ripped off and like held up with chains and you see it all happen. They don't cut anything, you know, they, you see, obviously they, they cut it all together right, with the visual effects and stuff, but you see it kind of there. Whereas like nowadays we kind of, We've adopted this approach of just kind of doing it and cutting and being like, "Oh, look, he's lost his face," you know. I mean, and obviously they did have video games for this. I mean, like they did actually have a direct sequel video game to this uh, film as well, which actually did answer the question half and half on like were the two characters in. I won't spoil. It. I know. To be honest, I don't actually feel we should spoil this film still because it's so good. Mm. If you've not seen it, just go watch it because you yeah. you don't know who is who in this movie. Yeah, and I don't know if like we really need. I don't really think we need to know. To be honest, that's the thing. Like, I think that they. The good thing about this film and something that rings out in video games quite a lot, especially video games from FromSoft, um, is that stories don't necessarily have to be, have an ending or they don't necessarily have to be told to you either. It could be left up to the viewer's discretion, right? And I feel like a good thing about this film is that fear, that unknowing aspect of it, who could be the thing. 
it keeps people thinking. I don't necessarily think we have to know who who it was or who did it or whatnot. I I feel like it kind of takes away some of the magic and the joy. I do think that, like you were talking about the practical effects and the actually not turning away from the chest sequence. I I won't go too far, people. That initial like chest sequence is fucked up, but. Like the practical effects is just stunning what John Carpenter did to, did for this film. Uh, just back to the video games thing, uh, we, we do have to mention, of course, Among Us, which will inevitably get a yeah, exactly, yeah, 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 which will basically be the thing, but with jelly beans. Mm, I mean, yeah, there's there's been many games, you know, since since that, right? Which 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 have that same kind of vibe, you know, Town of Salem, obviously, that predates um that predates Among Us, and and even Werewolves, the game Werewolves, predates you know that as well. And and all those kind of things tie back and, and throw back to the thing and, and the concept of the thing and obviously the original source material of the thing as well. Yeah, again, you know, I, I think like this could be done well if it's done right. I think like, you know, if you if you look at the original, maybe actually maybe just change it entirely. Don't don't do the don't adapt it in a way that you don't have to copy the original. That way you're not gonna know exactly what's gonna happen in this movie. And people aren't gonna be um, you know, doing a prequel to this movie, people are going with expectations of the original. If you do something entirely different but you use similar concepts, I think that's probably a better way to approach it. And again, the fact that this movie ends in a way and how it does is just and also the unique I won't say how they you can tell like people might be it and whatnot, but how they use that very simple narrative plot point to say if a character is infected or isn't is very unique and very creative. Like it's so simple in how it's approached. Like it, it really is. It's also something that's memed quite a lot as well. The actual scene where the character sort of devise a way to test who could be the thing has been like referenced in a lot of other media as well, uh, especially South Park episode. There's a South Park episode where they literally do the exact scene frame for frame basically yeah but no uh, yeah i i was gonna put this on my list but i i kind of i felt that someone else was going in because the thing is so so good in regards to how you know in with horror genre and john carpenter and himself he is just a master you know he get he gave so many good creative things in regards in the 80s especially and obviously he did halloween as well uh mm. so yeah we're gonna we're gonna roll with effects now for his uh his final choice so final choice um american psycho uh 2000 very good film uh comes under horror there's a lot of axe murdering and general so right okay we've got christian bale uh as a wealthy new york investment banking executive ceo type chap um you probably tell he's american and he's a psycho um he does i think this is again like the horror comes from like these people who are genuinely in charge of our our world, right? And they're important, but also they are egomaniac psychopaths who can get away with axe murdering people because they're just too important to get rid of. I don't just look at the modern world. Um, <laughs> but yeah, he, I he, I think he, he the film is him descending into more and more psycho behavior and you know, a bit of axe murdering. Um, but he does portray like, a psychopath very well. Uh, in this film, like psychopaths, yeah, 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 it's yeah, it's 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 not relatable, but you could, in the same way that Jaws makes you terrified to go into um, the sea, this will make you terrified to work for a um, for a executive banker. There is, is you making a point there. To be fair, it's very good. It is that um, it's that hidden hidden nature. Really, I was watching uh, the Netflix documentary yesterday, the Jeffrey Dahmer one, 
the Confessions of a Serial Killer one, uh, part of their confession series. And there was a very good and kind of poignant line in that, which I think kind of resonates with what you're saying quite well, is that you don't really know, you know, who someone is when they go home uh, behind the closed doors, right? Like you don't, you don't really know what that person really is. Um, and, you know, it kind of prefaces that no one really knew who Jeffrey Dahmer was. No one really knew he was a serial killer because he looked like a very normal person. But, you know, it's for people that look normal, people that masquerade as CEOs and whatnot, right? Then in actual fact, they could have very dark and very disturbing backgrounds that we're not aware of because you just don't know what happens, you know, behind closed doors. And I think that film is a pretty, pretty good analogy for this. Mm, absolutely. Um, it's, 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 it's a very enjoyable watch. Like it's not, in part, again, apart from maybe some of the murders, um, you can sort of, like, psychopaths are quite charming. So it's like, you know, you get very um, attached to Christian Bale, I guess. But like, again, not sympathise. I don't know how to describe it, really. Like, well, it is, it is, it is that, like, a, like a real life, you know, zero killer. They have charisma and they have, they're very good at what they do and they're very good at getting away with what they do. And, and Christian Bale's portrayal is pretty, pretty on the money, really, on what a psychopath is. So, yeah, obviously, and it's only a, just come out extremely recently, actually. A news article uh, came out in the last couple of days and how Christian Bale was paid less than makeup artists on the film that was being made because I only had a $7 million budget and he was living with his family at the time, so he needed to make money. But yeah, this like he was amazing in this movie. Obviously, it gives mm. gives us such iconic you know moments, such as you know the naked chainsaw run, the business card scene, you know, the, the the Phil Collins dance sequence. You know, it, this yeah. film has so many iconic scenes. This has just been memed as well now, right? Like, yeah. that's how how popular they are and how pop culture they are. You know, like the business card scene mm. that's memed all the time. So many people meme that scene. Yeah. I mean, like, sorry, Fergus. No, I was just saying it is it's been very popular with the internet. Um, I say for things like business card scene, um, like you've probably seen business cards, but Pokemon cards or you know stuff like that. I mean, like, and obviously, you know, it, the only, why I mainly knew about this film is the fact that like American Psycho has almost a direct link to The Dark Knight, which ironically both Christian Bale for movies. The fact that you know when he runs down the hallway and everything, and he chucks the chainsaw down uh, and he kills the woman, and then in The Dark say, Knight, yeah. it goes down this spiral sequence and he jumps on top of the car, which is almost like a it's not a shot for shot thing, but it's, I feel like it's a definite, like, you know, take on that in that regard. When I first saw American um, Psycho, like, some of the scenes were so disturbing, especially the homeless man sequence. That was, like, extremely disturbing back in the day. Um, I also like the fact that did the movie actually happen? You know, there, there, there is that question in the movie, like, you know, is it all part of this person's mindset? You know, it, it does play into that fact as well. And, again, this movie is quite... Out, you know, this was 2000, I believe. You know, this movie came out in 2000, mm. so this is an older movie now. But and I know they did a female led sequel, I believe, which wasn't as good, obviously. But yeah, Christian Bale just, you know, surmounted. I know he was around since the 80s with Empire of the Sun and uh, the Newsies back in the day, but this is sort of his movie, which sort of took him into that new era. Uh, this, then The Machinist, then Batman Begins, was sort of like his three films have sort of elevated him to way new heights in, that, in the film industry. And as Connor said, you know, this this sprouted so many memes in that regard. So that's an mm. awesome pick, Fergus. That is an awesome pick. So going on to my final choice. So we did talk before about a little movie by James, uh, by, w- w- sorry, was it James Cameron? Oh, slipped there a bit. Mr. Ridley Scott. 
We're now going to go to its sequel, which I did mention before, the fact that I saw first. I am talking about Aliens or Get Away From Her, You Bitch! You know, that's the best, I think, you know, one of the best lines in um, cinema history. We are talking about the James Cameron uh, film from 1986, uh, starring Sigourney Weaver, Michael Bean, um, just a whole whole amazing group of actors. Like, you know, like obviously the the later great bill paxton as well who passed away in the a few years ago now i again you know going into this movie i'm so sad i saw this first not not because it's a bad movie but because i feel that this was a definitely a complementing feature to seeing the first movie the alien free not as much i would say but when it comes to this movie itself i thought it was so good and how it actually took things in uh obviously i'd seen you know films like starship troopers before this and how you know the humans won eventually and how the aliens were fought back but when going into this film and seeing you know the xenomorphs just tearing the colonial marines apart like at the beginning they're coming out of the walls man they're coming out of the walls you know like it just got you know the, the tension of this movie how it played out and also you know the face hugger sequences you know the tension you know seeing this small creature have such tension with this character like you know how it could take out these all these people it, it just it's just an amazingly shot movie. You know, even though this is more of an action-led movie, there are sequences where the tension is there. You know, you have the entire sequence where, like, you don't even have any humans on the screen. You just have the miniguns, like, you know, taking out the xenomorphs, and you don't see the xenomorphs coming in. But then when the light finally hits them and how many there are, you know, it takes the tension in that as well. And it does introduce the next evolution of the xenomorphs as well in regards to the alien queen and how... You know, you don't fuck with this species because there's always a bigger animal out there, you know, and how it could, how it could play into that. Also, it also it's just a it's just a plot point to, you know, it's just a thing for humanity to just go. Maybe we should investigate planets more before we put human colonies on them because that everyone will get taken over by an alien, you know, and it will have little girls surviving by themselves by saying very little words in the movie. Uh, but, you know, seeing the original movie, though, I think like seeing the original movie after seeing this, I felt I gained an appreci- a great appreciation for how, as Connor was talking about, you know, the sheer the sheer horror this creature could pull out. Because in the sequel, they are more leapy. They are they are shorter as well. In the sequel, I noticed they are they are smaller in, in actual like, their size. So you could definitely tell there's variations of the xenomorph. But, you know, I think going back to the first one, as Connor mentioned, you know, the, the the sheer horror i class is more of a more of a horror action movie whereas the original is just pure horror survival uh, i th- i think like that's the good thing about like the horror genre you could get these huge subgenres within them and james cameron did such an amazing job with this movie i believe this was his this was his big oh no so terminator was his first movie so but then um alias was his second and i think these two movies were just sort of like how showed how James Cameron was going to become this powerhouse of a director because, you know, this didn't make a huge amount of money. Like, uh, by today's standards, it maybe inflation, it was made for about 18 and a half million, which I'm not going to lie, back in the day, it was probably a lot more money, but the budget, like, went really well to this movie. And I think the act, the acting performances, you know, Michael Bean in himself, you know, Sigourney Weaver obviously, you know, had Alien and Aliens, but Michael Bean was in two of the biggest survival thriller horror movies in those last few years, The Terminators, Kyle Reese. And this movie as uh, um, Dwayne Hicks. And also the fact that they introduced the Android concept again, but they flipped it on its head for this movie in a, a continuing story, which went into this movie as well, which I, I didn't understand going into this film with uh, Sigourney's, or well, Ellen Ripley's like, hate of the androids uh, and everything. But going back to the original, you can understand her, her fear of them. 
and I think like the reason I just put this as my mom was because it had such a so it has such an impact me as a small kid. Like I saw this when I was like ten years old because you know it's action, it's horror, it is tense in sequences, and has so many iconic lines. You know, for this episode, I'm probably going to put myself in the uh, the war. You know, the Walker. You know, is 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 the little animation for this episode. But again, you know, it's just so inspired so many different things. Also. You know, I reference this in a lot of the podcasts we've done before, but the fact that on this movie, they, that you know, James Cameron had the actors read Starship Troopers, the book, for, you know, for the Marine aspect, you know, it, that was the inspiration for it. There were so many things that went into this movie. And I think also it just goes to show that you can hand a film off from another amazing director and still get another amazing movie. All, sometimes it doesn't work out. Like Star Wars is another trilogy that did it. You know, it was different directors each time. But I think like when it comes to Alien, the Alien movies, specifically the first two, it showed you that handing it over to another director, it brings a new fresh take to it, but it does such an amazing thing. And this is why it's my number one. It's a good choice, to be fair. There is some <clears throat> incredible shots in this film, you know, and it also it, it also radiates and resonated quite a lot with the video games as well for Alien because without, you know, the push for kind of the Marines as a concept, really. And you see the Marines very heavily in this film. You know, a lot of the a lot of the more popular alien games would probably be a little bit flat without that. Um, you know, big shout out to uh, one of one of me and my friends Zach's favorite characters from that film, uh, Sergeant Apom, played by Al Matthews, immense character who has just the most quotable lines in the world. Uh, that we always say, you know, all the time, it always generates fun. You know, such as uh, a day in the core is like a day on the farm. Every meal is a banquet. Every paycheck a fortune. Every formation of parade. God, I love the core. I didn't realize. So, uh, so you know the the female marine in this movie. Mm. So you've seen Ti- we've all seen Titanic. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize she's the mother in that Titanic movie who is in the bed with her children when the ship's sinking. No, she- Same actress. <laughs> like I didn't realize that at all until years later. You know, it no. just goes to show that actors have such a wide range of themselves as well. Yeah, and also, you know, actually, I do, I do have to give credit to Bill Paxton because Bill Paxton was and Lance Henriksen. They were also in the Terminator, so you know they were brought over from James Cameron as mm. well. But you know, just such an um, such an amazing film. And honestly, people, we have done an amazing list today. We've done, we've done, we have done some great movies. But that is it, people. That is the end of the episode. We will definitely give you a list of whole quite a wide range of horror movies. To be honest, you know, foreign foreign horror movies, quite old horror movies, and a a lot of sci fi and subgenres within that. It's been a it's been a very interesting take, to be honest. It's fun, man. Hmm. Yeah, uh, thank you for coming on this journey with us. Yeah, thank you for inviting me to your little corner of the internet, my man. It's been really enjoyable. Oh yeah, most definitely, most definitely, people. Um, yeah, no, but if you are, if you want to get in contact with us, any questions, queries, or compliments, feel free to email us at nmipodcasteroutlook.com. That's nmipodcasteroutlook.com. Uh, yeah, you know, come in, come and insult me. You know, saying why. I, why did I choose Aliens of Alien as my favorite horror movie? I Again, like, you know, there's no specific category. It's just why it's there. I did almost put the Terminator on there, but I don't see that as a horror movie. I see it more mm, as a thriller. Action. Yeah, exactly. Well, actually, the first Terminator movie is more of a thriller than an action uh, movie. Sci-fi action thriller type yeah. type deal, right? I my opinion. That. My opinion. Uh, no, I can I, I could totally understand that. We'll probably have a conversation <laughs> later at that point. But people, yeah, if you also want to find us on our... So that's nmipodcaster.outlook.com. If you want to find us on our socials, Instagram, uh, I, Instagram's um, uh, Twitter, almost out of blank there, people. Search at NMICast. You can also find us on Linktree at NMICast and find us all of us on there as well. We're also trying to work on the Pixel versions as well a bit as well. Had a bit of technical difficulties there as well. So we're actually trying to get those back up and running again. We've still got the lovely audio version going as well. Again, I want to thank, you know, Guestos Connor for joining us today. Thank you so much, man, for uh, for uh, letting me on, inviting me in to chat about horror. One of my favorite things of all time. 
Uh, and if you like hearing my voice, shameless little plug here, uh, you should totally check out uh, a podcast called The Missing Manual. Uh, it's on all major podcast providers, most notably Spotify and Apple Apple Podcasts. Uh, you may or may not hear a familiar voice on that podcast. I can say that I do love listening to that podcast, and it's the fact the reason I bought a fucking Steam Deck. Like Connor, <laughs> Connor is the reason why I bought Steam Deck. People, we mentioned it last week's episode. How a friend, uh, you know, sort of like lunged me into it. I listened to their recent episode on the Steam Deck review, and they gave a lovely in-depth discussion how they actually do that. They also go into uh, topics such as the Predator Concrete Jungle, which was an interesting episode as well. We cover uh, nerd culture, cult culture, movies, films, uh, games, mostly games, but you know, pop culture in general. And you did a history of the PlayStation 2, I believe, uh, part one and two as well, didn't you? We did. We did a three-part series on the uh, the history of the PlayStation 2 console. It was very interesting. Can you give the people a little bit of a sneak peek of what's coming up? Ooh, uh, we're hoping to to cover um, more horror stuff coming up soon. So we're hoping to do uh, a little a big deep dive into Dead Space in the Dead Space series. Um, Which was the big inspiration for the thing. Of course, yes. Yeah, I've got the Necromorph. It's obviously a massive inspiration for the thing. Uh, we're going to be holding on to that for a little while, though, because there is a remake coming out for Dead Space. Um, we also cover a lot of Capcom stuff as well. Unintentionally, we cover a lot of Capcom topics on our on our show. Not through choice. We just we love Capcom games. Um, and we're also going to be chatting about some of the hot games coming out soon as well, such as the Callisto Protocol, another massive horror game coming out towards the end of the year, which is basically Dead Space 4. I mean, we might have to get Connor back because uh, I am going to be playing uh, Scorn, as you mentioned earlier this weekend. It does come on Game Pass, people. So if you've got Game Pass, grab that game. It's actually more of a puzzle action game than an action-heavy game. And it's going to be quite a fucked up game to play. Obviously, we've got God of War coming out. Yeah, uh, God of War coming out. I know Connor's definitely forward to that as well. Uh, obviously, Callisto Protocol in December. And we have Dead Space in January. Uh, but yeah, that is the Missing Manual people on Spotify and Apple uh, Podcast. Uh, definitely go listen to that. It's a, it's a really good listen to it. It's definitely on my uh, my walk at the weekends. I definitely like listen to that <laughs> podcast. 100% professional podcast. <laughs> damn, damn right it is. Damn right it is. Uh, yeah, but no. Uh, uh, and again, I want to thank the ever always present, the lovely himself, Mr. Fergus, for joining me today. No problem at all. Um, it has been fun as usual. Um, there's just so much to talk about. <laughs> right, but no, uh, maybe we'll have some more crossovers in the future. People we may have some more anime episodes, maybe horror-themed, or maybe we'll get Connor back for a few more in the future. Uh, maybe, yeah, you might hear uh, some of us pop over there. Who, who knows? But yes, people, right. I've been your host, Nate. Again, I want to thank Connor and Fergus for joining me today. We will see you next week, people. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye. <laughs>